Good morning. Good morning, church. Welcome. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to everyone joining us online this weekend as we're not meeting in person. Shout out to Calvary Plantation, who has been a massive blessing in the midst of this season. We'll be back there in person next Saturday, uh, but this morning we're all joining online, kicking off a brand new series through the book of Nehemiah called The Leadership Challenge. Everybody say it with me. The Leadership Challenge challenge. Studio audience is on board this morning, thank God, because I need some human interaction. Um, but this is good. I'm excited about this. We're going through the book of Nehemiah for the next several weeks. If you have not read it, uh, you're like, Nehemiah who? Nehemiah what? Nehemiah. It's in the Bible. Encourage you to read that and check that out. Um, but we're talking about, here's the context for Nehemiah, which I think is very apropos for our current moment. Nehemiah reflects a world that is in crisis. The walls have been broken down. There's division, there's dissension, there's challenges all about. And in the midst of this challenge, this moment, God calls a leader. So we're going to jump into it. Why don't you stand to your feet wherever you're watching from as we read and honor God's word together. Nehemiah chapter 1 will kick off at the very beginning. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, we got it up on the screen for your viewing pleasure. If you are ready, say, let's do this. All right, here we go. Verse 1, chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. That's kind of a cool one. If you're wondering, what should we name our baby? We're about to have a baby. Maybe that's a word from the Lord for you. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that sound familiar? If you remember the Esther series, same context here. They're living in exile in Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. You're like, Jewish remnant, the exile, what exact, don't worry, I'll get into context, we'll get on the same page. They, they, were, they were all, they were telling me about Jerusalem and they said to me, those who survived the exile, they're back in the province and they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Somebody say bummer, bummer. Nehemiah gets his news, verse four, he said, and when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord God of heaven, he begins this prayer, this passionate plea to God. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I'm praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins. There's some humility. He said, God, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. He's like, God, you, I get it. We blew it and you told us. If you are unfaithful, I'm gonna scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, this is such good news. Then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, he says, no matter, someone needs to hear this this morning, no matter how far you feel from God as a result of your own pride, foolishness, and bad decisions, he said, no matter how far, furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah verse 10 says, God, they're your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You're like, what man? And he ends almost with this divine realization because I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Jesus, speak to our hearts this morning. 
Amen. Amen. You have a seat wherever you're watching from. Maybe you've experienced this. I'm sure most of you have, but what a difference the right leader can make. What a difference the right leader can make. Growing up, I grew up here in South Florida, um, and growing up, I worked in high school at the mall. I worked at Broward Mall, in fact, right here in South Florida. Anybody ever worked at a mall? Anyone here ever worked at a mall? Um, if you've worked at a mall, it's a very unique experience. I worked at PacSun, if you remember that store. That's where I worked in high school, at PacSun, at the Broward Mall. And, um, and you work at the mall for really two, two reasons. Um, you work at the mall for the free and or cheap clothes that you can get with your discount and the Cinnabons. Let's just let's just keep it real. You were working at the mall because you know if you could make a front if you could make a friend at the Cinnabon place, then you could get cheap Cinnabons or at the end of the day free Cinnabons, and it is glorious and delicious. Um, the problem is if you eat too many Cinnabons, you start to turn into a Cinnabon, and so that starts to wear off after a while. And, and I remember I'd worked there about a year at the mall, and um, and we had manager after manager after manager. I mean, like turnover like a revolving door, and, and they were great people and they were nice people. But but after about a year, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of done. I, I'm I'm over. Over this right now. I think I'm about to roll and find another thing to do. And, um, and so they, they kept saying, oh, but we have this new manager. Like, and, and so I was about done. And they brought in Debbie. I, I'll never forget Debbie. Uh, I'm not, the, uh, I'm not the, the tallest individual, right? I'm not exactly a bastion of physical prowess when it comes to my height. Um, but Debbie was a little thing. I mean, Debbie was just, and, and so she comes in. I was like, okay. And, and, uh, but Debbie, I mean, she was, she meant business. Debbie came in. She's like, hey, why do we run things like this? I'm like, you know, I've always wondered. She's like, this, this isn't efficient. This is and Debbie just started cleaning house. She's like, hey, here's what we need to do. De I, I mean, I was there for a week. I'm like, okay. She knows what she's doing. And, and in the course of Two months with Debbie, the entire store changed, the culture of the store changed, everything shifted, and I ended up staying there all through high school. Rather than quitting after one year, I stayed there all the way through high school. What a difference the right leader can make. Now, this is a leadership series. It's called the Leadership Challenge. And I already know wherever you're, you're, you're sitting there in your living room, you're sitting there with your coffee, and you're like, oh, great. Well, well I guess this doesn't apply to me, Pastor John, because I'm not a leader. I want to make the case that, that if you are a homo sapien, you're like a, homo, a human being, if you are a human being, you in fact are called to lead. See, leadership is not reserved for the elite. Maybe you'll lead five, maybe you'll lead 500, but if you are breathing oxygen on planet Earth, you are called to lead. If you're a parent, guess what you are? A leader. You're like, I was about to say losing my mind. That too, but you're a leader. If you are a teacher... You're a leader. If you're a counselor, a healthcare worker, a mental health practitioner, you are leading people. If you manage people at work, you're a leader. If you manage people at home, you're a leader. If you're a human being and all you gotta do is manage yourself, you're like, God knows that is my hardest management challenge. Amen to that one. You are a leader. If you're still at this point trying to figure out a way to weasel your way out of this one, say, well, Pastor John, I mean, they might be a leader, but I am not a leader. Okay, how many of you are Christians and follow Jesus? Show of hands. I know I can't see it, but I just, just, just you know, engage with me for a second here. Okay, um, what percentage, if you remember from last week, what percentage of followers of Jesus are called to make disciples? 100%, cien por ciento, 100%. So guess what? If you follow Jesus and you are making disciples, guess what that makes you? A leader, boom, shaka. Every single human being, and definitely if you are a Jesus follower, you are called to be a leader. The question is not if you will lead, but merely who you will lead and how you will lead. I'm gonna say that one again. The question is not 
if you will lead, but who you will lead and how you will lead. Welcome to the Leadership Challenge. I read an article in Forbes magazine which was very intriguing and, and fascinating to me. They were talking about leadership and, and looking at modern leaders who have made significant impact in our world. What they've come to find empirically is that one out of every three modern leaders were, were born that way. They, they, they sort of seem to pop out of the womb with these inexplicable leadership giftings and talents and abilities. And it's like, man, no one even seemed to teach them these things. They just kind of had it. One out of three, right? Here's what that means. Two out of three leaders, great leaders, were not born, they were made. The majority of leaders, this, this, is, this is empirical now, this is data-based reality. The majority of leaders, if we are all called to be leaders, and especially as disciples of Jesus, if we're gonna be leaders, it means that we don't just magically have it and not even via supernatural means have it. God has placed things on the inside of us. There is latent potential, but if we are going to become the passionate followers of Jesus and the disciple makers he's called us to be, we are actually going to be made that way with intentional effort, cooperating and participating with the grace of God. Our burden during the course of these next several weeks as we dig into the book and the story of Nehemiah is that we would learn to lead well. That, that as we become, right, the, the mission here is to help ordinary people like you and I become passionate followers of Jesus. That as we learn to follow Jesus well, we would also learn to lead like Jesus with excellence, compassion, passion, and clarity. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the example of a very ordinary person used in very supernatural ways named Nehemiah. I mentioned this briefly, but I think the context matters to help us get to the point that we find resonance with this book, because it's not just an ancient story. It has modern day implications. The context of Nehemiah is a position of brokenness. In his context, in his world, in his culture, the walls have been broken down. Things seem hopeless. There are enemies and obstacles. There is dissension and division. And there is this lingering question in the hearts of Nehemiah and in the hearts of the people. Is there any hope at all? Things look so bleak. Things look so dire. Things look so bad. There, there, there's such a palpable division that's happening. There's, there's all of these things happening. The question is, is there any hope at all? You know what God does? God does, thank you. God does what he always seems to do. He sends a leader. Check, check this out. I need just to catch this. God looks at the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of humanity, and in his effort to connect the dots to the, to the answer and to the solution, he always sends a leader. God sends Moses. God sends Joshua. God sends Gideon. God sends Jonah. The world is waiting for a committee. God sends a Christ. The world is waiting for a roadmap. God sends a messenger. Do not estimate the power, underestimate the power of a leader who gets God's burden, God's heart, God's vision, and God's plan. My prayer, our longing for this series is we would have a bunch of ordinary people like you and I that say, you know what, Jesus? This world is jacked up. This world needs some help. You, set, you taught us to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to pray in that way. God, I want your burden, your heart, your vision, your plan. God's burden, God's heart, God's vision, God's plan. See, we find hope in the story of Nehemiah. We're reminded of the power of an ordinary person like you and I, one human being who gets God's burden, God's heart, God's vision, 
God's plan and the ways that God can use them to restore, rebuild, and establish his kingdom. I've got one big idea, one core thought. I encourage you, if you're watching, to jot this one down. Here it is. Do not underestimate the power of a leader who gets God's burden, God's heart, God's vision, and God's plan. All right, three stopping points I want to highlight here at the beginning of Nehemiah's story to see how God mobilizes him as a leader at the very beginning of his leadership journey. The first question is this. If you're taking notes, I jot this one down. The first question is this. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Jump in here to the beginning, chapter 1, verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, he came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. And he said to me, those who survived, they're back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls are broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Check out how Nehemiah responds. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days, days, ooh, paciencia. You're like, what is that tongue? It's Spanish. Patience. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now I want to establish biblical context so we have a, a, a common ground of understanding when it comes to the book of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah was not always Nehemiah. In fact, up until the Middle Ages, it was actually Ezra Nehemiah. It was one book. It got separated in the Middle Ages, I'm guessing because it was kind of long. But the context of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's the same context. In fact, the the books are actually interwoven between one another. And so a great takeaway for this sermon series, I would highly encourage members of our church family, and if you're watching and you're watching later on demand, you could do it too. Read both the book of Ezra and Nehemiah to get a thorough understanding of the backstory and the context for what's happening here during the course of this series. In fact, uh, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, actually takes place in between Ezra 6 and 7. Ezra and Nehemiah are two leaders that kind of work together with different angles and and the way God's wired them to help lead. But but Nehemiah is happening here. Now, what has happened to the Jewish people, what has happened to the Israelites, is God promised them, hey, listen, if you continue to rebel against me, if you continue to push off on my leadership, if you continue to make your way the way, if you continue to take your own, you continue to be your own God, Lord, and leader, It's going to end bad. Ultimately, you're going to end up in exile. And so what happened is what God promised. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, if you remember that name, he comes in. It's a recurring name throughout different books of the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He captures Jerusalem. He destroys the temple by fire. He breaks down the walls, which would have been the protective barrier, sort of the pride and joy of the Jewish people, of the Israelites there. He breaks down the wall. He he, he takes the vast majority into exile in Babylon and other places of their kingdom. And he leaves the poorest of the poor to glean the fields, work the fields, basically becomes a feudal lord to these few people that are left there in Jerusalem. I want to make the point as we begin at the very beginning that, that leadership starts with a leader. Go figure, right? That's kind of no-brainer. Leadership starts with a leader who is activated by a burden. Leadership starts with a leader who is activated by a burden. Now, here's the problem, because not just any old burden will do. One of the issues in our culture, there's lots of great things about our culture that God can use, but one of the issues we need to be aware of is that we live in a culture that is prone to rash action. We live in a culture that if we are not careful is sort of move first and think second, shoot first and aim second. Like we, we step out and we are often with very good intentions, we make very ill-informed and nearsighted decisions. 
I remember being uh, in northern Kenya with Missionary Benson, one of our missions partners that we love, one of my faith heroes. Uh, him and his team are based in northern Kenya, and they do stuff all throughout East Africa. Um, they work with unreached tribes and people groups. Uh, Benson is a Kenyan. He's a Turkanan himself. And so I remember when I first got to meet Missionary Benson, and we were traveling, and we were going different places, and he was sort of taking me around to different villages that he had gotten to plant churches at where they had never heard the gospel. They had never had churches. I mean, it was amazing, inspiring, like felt like the, the Marines of the kingdom, like first responders going in there. It was awesome. And so he was taking me different places and we're driving out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert in rural Turkana by Lake Turkana. And there's this, I mean, stainless steel, beautiful building. I'm like, Benson, what's that? Like totally stuck out like a sore thumb. I was like, what in the world is that? He's like, ah, that's our fish packing facility. I was like, oh, cool. And so he went on to tell me in his context, um, there in northern Kenya and throughout that region, they have rolling drought that's incredibly severe. And so they suffer. There are nomadic people, largely sheep herders, goat herders. And so they do that, that sort of and, and some subsistence farming. And so he said, you know, um, we have rolling drought. And so malnutrition, um, starvation, all, all these things are really big issues. And so about a decade ago, um, a, a, another government, another country came in, I think it was Norway, Sweden, something like that, and they, they said, wow, man, you guys really seem to have some issues here. We know what we're going to do. We're going to build you a fish packing facility. They, they, they had that kind of vibe in their culture, in their context. And so they built this state-of-the-art facility. They got everything set up. They had it all ready to go. And they said, here it is. Now your problem is solved. I was like, bro, that's amazing. So, so what do you guys do? He's like, oh, we don't use it. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's just, just kind of, just, it's there. I was like, why don't you use it? He said, well, the, the problem is it was a great idea. It was a really fantastic idea. And in their culture, they're, they're really great with that. But um, Turkanas don't fish. That's not, that's not what we do. Like we don't, we didn't want to fish. We didn't want the facility. We didn't want to change. Like we, this, this is what we do in our culture. And so the problem, it was a great solution. The problem is they never asked us. And I feel like if we're not careful, we, especially as Americans, North Americans in Guyana, maybe y'all can relate to the context, we are very quick to action, we're quick to move, we're quick to speak, and we're very slow, if ever, to listen. Do not miss this. When Nehemiah hears the bad news, he does not tweet and he does not post and he does not get in his car and drive and he does not move and march. He stops and he prays. See, it's not just about finding a problem. Secular leaders do this all the time. If you're familiar, this is like the blue ocean business principle. Like find a problem and then find a solution where you can make profit. Like there's, there's limitless problems in the world and you can always, th this is not just get in your net, get, get a great business plan and you can go and change the world. Like may maybe, or maybe you'll build a fish packing facility that no one uses. See, it's not just about finding some problem. This is about God's burden and God's heart and God's vision and God's plan. Step one, disciples, check track with me. This is so huge. Step one before you move is God move me. Step one is God move us. Step two is actually asking God to use us, but step one is asking God to move us. Friend, do not get the order wrong. Here's an application. I'm gonna sprinkle application all throughout this sermon. Here's an application in point one. Ask God to move you before you step out to move. Ask God to move you before you step out to move. So many of our faith heroes here at the greenhouse, this is how they operated. Missionary Sam and Life for the Innocent who rescued kids out of human trafficking. Missionary Sam was just a high-level business guy working as a headhunter and a recruiter for a big Fortune 500 company. And, and then he experienced human trafficking. And he saw all this injustice. And guess what he did? 
nothing at first. And then he met Jesus. And all of a sudden, God moves his heart with a burden. And at this point, he, I think him and his team have rescued thousands of kids out of human trafficking, got them rehabilitated and adopted into forever families. All this incredible kingdom impact that you would be tempted to think, well, yeah, duh, missionary Sam is sharp, which he is. Well, he's just smart, which he is. But he would say, no, it wasn't any of those things because I saw it all and I did nothing. What moved you? God. Joel Romulus, who you heard about, one of our church family he, he, from here in South Florida, went up, did the internship, the school of ministry there in Gainesville, the Greenhouse School of Ministry. God started stirring his heart. He became the, the chaplain for the Florida Gators football team, God's favorite college football team. We all know that, right? And, and so he started doing that thing. JC, I don't want to hear it. He started doing that thing, and, and then God began to stir his heart and say, there's more here. And so as God moved him with a burden, he launched out to, to work with student athletes, sharing the gospel, doing discipleship, mentoring, and, and tutoring with at-risk youth, elementary, middle, high school, all the way up to the college level and beyond. Ask God to move you. His burden, his heart, his vision, his plan. And then and only then do you move. God will speak. He has no point. He spoke the world into existence. He's very articulate. Yes. I'm not just saying just wait there and do nothing. I'm saying, but don't just do something. Yeah. Ask God to move you, and then you move. Here's a question. What breaks your heart? What distresses your soul? Maybe your heart has been breaking this week as the story of Dante Wright came out. You're looking at this situation. You're like, man, I, 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 I get it, Pastor John. Uh, the officer was charged and, and all these things, but, but a life was still lost. And this side of earth, that person is not coming back. That young man is not coming back. And, and you feel the burden. Maybe some of your hearts grieve over domestic violence. Maybe some of your hearts break for all of the modern day slaves and human trafficking victims that exist in our world in numbers that we have never experienced in modern history. What breaks your heart? What moves you to anger, to angst, to sorrow? Have you asked God about that? Here's what I want you to do. I want us to pause right now. I want you to pull out your phone. Some of you are already texting on your phone right now. I forgive you. To, to open up a note in your phone. And I want you to jot down this question. What breaks your heart? Put it right there at the very top. And I want you to take a minute. I want you to pause the video. And I want you to write down anything that comes to mind. God prompt our hearts right now. All right, welcome back. Hopefully you took some time to do that and I'm praying that God used that moment. See, here's the thing. God's, God's plan to conquer sin and death wasn't to send the angelic masses. He sent a Messiah. And in the same way, his plan, check this out. I hope you notice the principle and a paradigm here. His plan to fully flesh out his work on earth, wasn't to send a heavenly delegation, but to send disciples. This is the way God works. It's fleshed out throughout the totality of scripture. Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He goes on in Ephesians chapter two, he says, for we were, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Peter picks up this same, same theme. He says, but you, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Friends, do not underestimate the power of a leader who gets God's burden, God's heart, God's vision, and God's plan. Number one, it starts with what breaks your heart. But it moves on from there. Number two, you've got to go a little deeper. You're like, Pastor John, what, what breaks my heart? How much time do you have? Like, where do you want me to start? Like, where, where do I even begin this with? How would I even know with all of the heartbreaking things in our world where to even begin which is where point number two is helpful. Number one is what breaks your heart. Number two is where are you positioned? If you're with someone, turn to them and say, positioned. Type it in the chat if you're not with anybody, say positioned. Where are you positioned? See, this starts, you can start, this is, this is really tangible. Nehemiah starts by just looking around. Where has God positioned you? Check this out. Nehemiah goes through his whole passionate prayer. He hears the bad news. He takes it to God in prayer. He, he, he utters now a passionate prayer to God. And then verse 11, at the very end of it all, it's almost like he has this eureka moment. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah realizes, wait a second. I think God put me in this place for a reason. Nehemiah had been given as an exile, as a Jewish exile, somehow, inexplicably, we know the somehow, right? It was God. He had been placed to this elevated status where he had direct access to the king. Now, thank God, Nehemiah had been faithful. Nehemiah had served with excellence. We'll get into that later in the series, but he's in this position where he realizes, wait a second, I have access to the king. I have been placed in a unique role and position, and I almost see the wheels turning as Nehemiah is praying. God starts speaking. He's like, God, where are you? God, can you help? God, you promised. And God's like, yeah, and guess what? He's like, oh, oh, it's me. It's me. I'm the cupbearer to the king. Friend, I need you to assume that it is not an accident that you are in the role that you're in. God has positioned you there for his purposes and his glory. A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a grandma in our church family, and, and we were talking. And it was, I mean, I, I, I love, by the way, the diversity of ages in our church. Like, it is, it is a beautiful representation of the kingdom. And so she was like, man, Pastor John, you know, I, I love my kids, but they're, they're not really disciples yet. Like, they're not, you know, kind of nominal Christian-ish, but they're kind of raising my grandkids to be, you know, Jesus, but, but Buddha and Muhammad and, and all, you know, all the religions they basically point to. And she was like, Pastor John, and she got this light in her eyes. She's like, Pastor John. My grandkids are going to be disciples of Jesus. I was like, man, whew, I feel like the devil and the demons started running for their Depends underwear. I'm like, do not underestimate the power of a grandma who gets a vision and begins to hit her knees in prayer. Amen. Some of you are like, that's why I'm here, because of a praying grandma or a praying grandpa. Where are you positioned? Maybe you're at a public school. Maybe you're at a private school. What job are you in? What classmates do you have? What program are you in right now? What family members do you have around you? Who are your neighbors? What networks has God uniquely positioned you in? What high-level skills have you gotten and developed? What professional training do you have under your belt right now? What if that's not an accident? And what if that's not just something by happenstance? What if that's the sovereignty of God? And he wants to bring it back up and use it for his purposes to rebuild for such a time as this. I want to pause for one more moment. Pull out your phone again. Open up that same note. And I want you to jot down this question. Where are you positioned? Right? We already have what breaks your heart with some thoughts under that, hopefully. Second question is, where are you positioned? Take a second, pause the video, and write down some of those networks God has placed you in.
All right, I hope that was helpful. I hope God's beginning to speak and stir. I wanted to take some moments. I know we're, we're sort of separated here by cameras digitally, but I wanted to do some unique things digitally that maybe we, we couldn't even do in the room. And I pray that God's beginning to personalize this message where it's not just some generic theory, but it's beginning to have feet to it. See, to respond to God's call and the leadership challenge of the moment, like Nehemiah back then, our moment right now, it starts with number one, what breaks your heart? Then it moves to considering number two, where are you positioned? And finally, it moves to number three, how big is your God? If you're with that neighbor, turn them again and say, how big is your God? How big is your God? Type in the chat, how big is your God? No, I get it. At this moment, you're like, man, Pastor John, the more I actually dig in and I start thinking about our world, I start thinking about my context, I start thinking about my community and my country, like the, the issues are so big. The reality of things is so daunting. It's so overwhelming. Like, and I think this is the first question. Like, what in the world could little old me do about it? Which is a great question. Let me give you the answer. Nothing. It's probably not what you're expecting from me. Nothing. But the problem is you're actually asking the wrong question. The question is not, well, what can I even do about these huge issues? Yeah, you're, you're right, nothing. You're, you're, you're just a human being. You're an ordinary human being. The, the, see, what, what you're missing is the, the core issue is not about the size of your problem. It's about the size of your God. If you have your perspective off, you're right. You're like, well, what could I do? Nothing. Because it's not about fundamentally the size of the problem. It's about the size of your God. Let me flesh this out in Nehemiah's context because I, I, I need you to see what's happening here. Nehemiah lives 700 miles away from the problem that God has burdened his heart to address. 700 miles away. I'm talking ancient world. I'm not talking jump on a plane and get there in your tin can. I'm talking like ancient world. You, it's going to take years to get over there. Ancient world, 700 miles away, never even visited before. He's been in exile the whole time. And the problem has been there for four generations. Some of y'all are looking at issues, you're like, man, I mean, it's been here so long, and, and who can, like, here's Nehemiah's context. Let, let me modernize it just so we can feel the emotional weight of it. This is the equivalent to pretend you're a boss, you're a manager, and you have a staff member that comes to you, and they're a crucial staff member, and they're like, hey, man, I, I, I want to ask you for something. And they ask for this big raise, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I could. They're like, hey, if, let, let me tell you first. Um, I'd like this massive raise, and, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to go off and do this pet project. It has nothing to do with the company. It has nothing to do with my current role in the company. It actually has nothing to do with anything that the business or organization pays me for. Um, but I'd like a huge raise to do my pet project. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm going to need you to hire someone to do the current role that I'm in. Like that, this is what, that's right. This is what Nehemiah does. He's like, hey, king. He asked him for this. He asked him for this new pet project. Give me this big old raise. Send me with all your best people. You're going to have to hire a new cupbearer. And yeah, that's what I'm, that's a vision. And the king says, yes. It's crazy, right? Do you understand? It is not about the size of your problem. It's about the size of your God. Jesus can do anything. God can do everything. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think or even imagine. You're like, who said that? The Bible. That's, that's who he is. That's what he can do. Which is why we can confidently come to these questions. What breaks your heart? Maybe it's not just circumstance. Maybe it's not just happenstance. Maybe it's not just an emotional mood of the moment. Maybe it's God. What breaks your heart? Where has he positioned you? And then we move. Here's the application. I'm, I'm, I'm praying that 
that members of our church family would begin to be mobilized by Jesus to be transforming agents to rebuild and respond to the leadership challenge. Maybe you're supposed to start something. Maybe you're supposed to join something that we're already doing. We've got a list of incredible missions partners locally right here in South Florida, here in Florida, here in the U.S., and internationally all over the world. Maybe you're supposed to jump into what's already happening. I've got a little QR code or a link or something that's popping up here that goes to our website where you can take a look at all of these different mission partners. I would encourage you to do that today. Do that today. And as you're scrolling through, say, God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? What breaks my heart? Maybe you've got a passion to help single moms. Maybe you've got a passion for marriages. I would say the best first step is to get in a microchurch and begin doing work and ministry right there. If you're not in a microchurch, that is step one for you. Get in a microchurch. You can begin to implement in a micro context the things God might be ultimately calling you to do in a macro context and learn and be faithful with little so God can make you ruler over much. Where'd that come from? The Bible. <laughs> Maybe you ultimately need to start a microchurch with a marriage focus. I'm not sure. Maybe you have a heart for the next generation. Listen, our middle school ministry needs leaders right now. Maybe God's calling you to step out. Maybe you're gonna serve with firewall, doing mentoring and tutoring and working with at-risk youth, breaking cycles of generational poverty. Maybe you're gonna work with Broward Outreach, doing holistic gospel-centered help for the homeless. Maybe you're there in Guyana. We love our Guyana crew. And maybe God has begun to work and he's begun stirring things and, and he's stirring your heart. And you need to jump in on the active work that is happening right now in Container City to step into that community to bring the help and the hope of the gospel. We've got community leaders that are starting to come around. God's doing something. If you're in Guyana or if you're anywhere in our church family, Reach out to Michelle, our missions coordinator. Michelle, here you go. I'm putting it all on you. Reach out to Michelle. No, but we exist. I'm playing. We, we exist. We want to help mobilize your leadership as God calls you to make a difference. And we want to help you get activated. See, here's the problem. We have a Christian culture that has felt and largely stopped at Nehemiah 1.3. We've gotten the bad news. We've read the bad news. We've watched the bad news. We've internalized the bad news. And what do we do? We started tweeting. We started posting. We got irate. We got angry. We, we got to Nehemiah 1.3 and we stopped at Nehemiah 1.3 and we never moved on to Nehemiah 1.4 where he pauses, fasts, and prays for days. And here's what's at stake. Nehemiah is upset in 1.3, but he does not get a burden until verse 4. What changes? I started thinking about Moses. I'm like, man, you know, Moses, Prince of Egypt, y'all know, you know, you know the vibe, you know the movie, Book of Exodus. And so Moses was a, a Jewish baby that, whose life was miraculously spared, and he ends up getting raised and living in palace privilege. He's there in Pharaoh's palace. He's got palace privilege, and, and he's watching the Jewish people get, get tormented and abused and enslaved and mistreated, and he's watching it for the majority of his adolescent and young adult life, and he does nothing. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Moses just starts, he steps in as, the, as the, the human redeemer of the people of God, right? All of a sudden, what in the world happened? 40 years of lack of involvement, all of a sudden Moses gets mobilized. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. An encounter with God happened. Moses does not become the Moses redeemer of his people until he meets with God at the burning bush. I'm praying the next time you see brokenness before you tweet, and before you post, and before you get angry, and before you yell at somebody, and before you get in the flesh, and before you, that you would pause and ask God for his burden, his heart, his vision, his plan, 
and then say yes and move. I hear it all the time. Pastor John, when is the church going to do something about this? Pastor John, what does the church have planned? I think that's a great question. You tell me because it's who we are. Do not underestimate the power of a leader who gets God's burden, God's heart, God's vision, and God's plan. See, leaders are defined by their ability to identify broken walls, check this out, and rebuild. The message of Nehemiah is not the message of the wrecking ball. The message of Nehemiah is the message of a deconstruction and a reconstruction as guided and empowered by the Spirit of God. You're like, Pastor John, but the... the, the amen. Pastor, pa pastor. The situation just looks so bad, like so bad, so bleak. I'm looking out at the landscape of my culture, of my context, of my community. It just looks, so, the walls, Pastor John, do you, do you see, like, do you live on planet Earth? I, I do. The walls are so broken. The situation, the, 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 the people, the, the relationships, the systems, they just look so broken. John, I want to believe it, but how in the world can I believe in God's redemptive power to rebuild and restore when things look so bad? And here's why. Because before God ever begins a reconstruction of broken things through you, he begins a reconstruction of broken things in you. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the inexplicable beauty of the way of Jesus. It's different from any other major world religion. Maybe you're here and you're investigating God, faith, and spirituality, and, and you're from some other faith or no faith at all, and you're like, well, all religions are basically the same. Yeah, in regard to moral code, but the way of Jesus is so distinct, and it's divinely powerful. See, here's what it looked like in their lives. Remember, in their lives, in, in the ancient Israelites and the Jewish people, Nebuchadnezzar had, had come in. The Babylonian Empire had come in, and they had conquered, and they stole, and they killed, and they destroyed. And the people of God become separated from the temple and by proxy separated from God's presence. But the book of Nehemiah is so powerful because it's not just his story and it's not just their story. It's our story. It's my story. See, here's the reality in my life and in your life. If you follow Jesus, if you've met Jesus, so the reality of our lives is there was a Nebuchadnezzar named Sin. And it came into our heart and it came into our world and it conquered and he stole and it killed and it destroyed. And it invaded our souls and now we were exiles, separated from God's presence, separated in spiritual darkness without hope. And God so loved you and he so loved me and he so loved the world, the Bible says, that he came. Check this out. And, and he left his place of privilege in the presence of the king. And he came down into our context with our broken down walls and our broken down mess and our broken down lives and our broken down scenario. And he came and left his place of privilege. See, Nehemiah is not just about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is ultimately pointing to a better Nehemiah who would leave his place of privilege in the presence of the king and motivated by love and compassion would come down. But the difference here is that this Nehemiah in this book, he lives. But the Nehemiah that ultimately came from heaven, he came down in the price that was required for the reconstruction and the renovation he paid with his own life and with his own blood. And friend, before you can ever lead in the way God designed you to lead, you need to be reconnected with the leader you were created to follow. And his name is Jesus.
And he's the good shepherd. And he is the best leader. And he's the one that your soul has been longing. We, we humans, let's be honest, we, uh, we're all going to be leaders in some context, but we are all desperately looking for the mentor, desperately looking for the guide, desperately looking for the, for the person who can help us figure out the mess that we're in. Jesus is who you've been looking for all along, and he loves you more than anyone ever will, more than you can ever imagine. And I'm praying you would make a decision to trust him today. Let's pray. You can bow your head and close your eyes with me as we... Just have a moment of quiet and privacy between you and God. Jesus, I'm asking that you would move. I'm asking that right now for every single person watching right now that's watching later on demand, that you would begin to stir in their heart a hope that in the midst of their broken down walls, that in the midst of the seeming hopelessness and despondency of the moment, it's not about the size of the problem. It's about the size of their God. If you're here right now and, and you sense a tug in your heart, it's not just the songs you heard and it's not just me up here talking to you. It's because it's this is real and God loves you. If you'd like to make a decision to invite Jesus in to, to rebuild and restore, there is a forgiveness and a right standing with God only made possible through this better Nehemiah, through Jesus. If you'd like to invite him in as Lord and leader, if you'd like to invite him in as CEO and director, if you realize, man, I've been leading my own life and it is not working, it is not happening, I don't have in me to do who I long to be, I can't be on my own. What I long to do, I can't do on my own. Here's the great news, you can give up. You can surrender and say, Jesus, I need your help. Wherever you're at right now, if that's you, I just want you to put your hand in the air and say, man, it's me. You can look to heaven even. I know I can't see it. I think there's something that powerful that happens when, when you express outwardly what God's doing on the inside. It just seems to make it a little more real to us. Say, God, that's me. You got me. I surrender. Even right there in your own words, you can pray something along the lines of, Jesus, be my leader. Be my Lord. You're the CEO. You're the commander in chief. You're running the show. Jesus, I repent. I changed my mind. I need you. Teach me to follow you. Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus. And, and you'd like to commit like Isaiah and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. You'd like to step into that place where you ask God for his burden, his heart, his vision, and his plan. Wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, even if you're watching later on demand, I just want you to pause for a moment. You can even look to heaven and say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. I'm here. I'm available. I'm willing. If you'll help me, I'll go. Send me your burden, your heart, your vision, your plan. If you'd like to know what some next steps would be in your faith journey, we would love to connect with you. You can text Jesus to the number on the screen. You can request prayer right there in the chat. We'd love to come alongside you and you support you in our faith journey. Otherwise, I'm praying God would bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, lift up his countenance and give you shalom, shalom, perfect peace. God bless you, church. We'll see you next Saturday in person at Calvary Plantation and this week all throughout Broward, Dade and Palm Beach County in your microchurches. Love you, church. Let's be disciples who make disciples and lead as we follow Jesus.